you're listening to Business 1110 KTK. I'm Paul Loudon, and this is Theories of Mind, where we try to help you understand the challenges and opportunities facing those of us uh, with mental health uh, difficulties. Uh, one thing we've talked a lot about in the past uh, here on Theories of Mind is autism. I was diagnosed uh, about 11 years ago uh, with autism spectrum disorder, uh, Asperger's at the time. And uh, since then, I've spent a lot of time learning about it and trying to understand what it means to me. And one of the things I've learned about it is that there's a lot more to it than a lot of people think, that there are underlying parts of the condition, the the physical side of it, the way it affects the brain, and the fact that often we have other symptoms uh, associated with it that people may not think of as autism symptoms. They aren't necessarily symptoms, but other comorbid conditions. And uh, we have with us today Dr. Ron Swatzina, who has been doing some research into... Uh, some of the things that are uh, happening in the mind by way of EEG, uh, happening in the brain rather, uh, and, and looking at what sort of the physical things going on at the time are for people who have some of these diagnoses. He's looked at it and seen that uh, there's some evidence that that could help develop future tools for diagnosing, future tools for treating, and, and having more direct and, and more precision in the treatment of uh, addressing these disorders. So you're listening to Business 1110 KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mine, and we will be back in just a moment. Wouldn't it be nice if you could send your child to a great preschool for half the regular tuition price? Anointed Steps Academy is Christian-owned and operated and is for infants, toddlers, and preschoolers. Anointed Steps features an individualized curriculum. There's a low teacher-per-child ratio and nutritious meals and snacks are provided. Licensed by Texas Department of Family and Protective Services. Regular tuition price is $42.90, but for a limited time, it's only $21.45. Call Susan at 713-260-6116 or go to business1110ktek.com. It's long, over a thousand chapters, over 30,000 verses. No wonder so many of us have never read it cover to cover. Want to do it? Want to read the entire Bible? Start today at BibleStudyTools.com. BibleStudyTools.com includes Bible in a Year, an interactive plan for reading, learning, and understanding the Bible. Deepen your faith and impact your walk with God one day at a time. Bible in a Year, just one of the new interactive Bible study tools at BibleStudyTools.com. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon, and this is Theories of Mind, where we help you understand the challenges and opportunities for those of us with mental health differences. We are talking with Dr. Ron Swetzina, Ph.D., about EEG and what it can help reveal to us about some of these things. Ron, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. And uh, he talked with us uh you know, a, a little while back about uh, concussions and the effect that concussions can have on the brain. Uh, and, and now you're going to talk to us about uh, some research you're doing with EEGs and, and what you can learn from them. Well, the, the electroencephalogram is a very, very uh, wonderful tool for, un- for helping to understand how the brain is functioning. And it's very sensitive to input from the body as well. Uh, this happens uh, to be one of the things we're always looking for in regard to what's causing these symptoms. That's what we really want to get to. Uh, the bottom of this is what's causing these symptoms. And that is so important because, uh, as something I've said on the show a lot, is that uh, you know we diagnose autism currently purely by symptoms. We don't have a, a blood test or a scan or anything like that. And we don't even really have one to help with a diagnosis most of the time. You know, you you have questionnaires, you talk to the parents or whatever, and then you're basing it on symptoms. And uh, among other things, that leads parents to think of autism as being all about the symptoms. They want to treat it by eliminating symptoms. But autism and, and a lot of these conditions, there there are underlying things going on. I mean, you, you don't just develop these behaviors without a reason. And a lot of times that reason is something that is physically different in your body, something that, you know, being there, there will be signs of it. It something that we can track down we just need to figure out what the tools develop or we need to develop the tools to find it and uh so you've been doing some research on uh eg's i have uh for the last 11 years 
Uh, yeah, since 2005 when I did our first ones. And uh, so what what led you to really look into EEGs as a, a tool for, for finding out more about these conditions? Well, we started uh, doing EEGs and quantitative EEGs to uh, develop a program for neurotherapy at our practice. Uh, and right away I saw that there was some information we were getting from the electroencephalographer which I sent the EEGs to to be read. As a PhD we cannot read EEGs. It has to be somebody board certified to read EEGs. And some of the anomalies that were coming back, some of the findings from this electroencephalographer um, were important information for the psychiatrist to know. So I went to him right away and I started passing this information on because it could make a difference in his medication and that's how it all started. And so you know, this is, this is one of those things where, again, a lot of times people are just so focused on the symptoms. Uh, you know, with the EEGs, what are you starting to learn about uh, all of these conditions? Like, what you said that it led to helping the treatment of this one person. What, in what sort of way did it change the way you'd approach uh, something like this? Well, when we're looking at what's causing the symptoms instead of just the symptoms, uh, ADHD, for instance, uh, part of which very, very many um, autistic spectrum uh, young people have uh, been diagnosed with as well. Um, there's a lot of causes for those symptoms. A lot of different brain abnormalities can cause those. And we don't want to automatically um, jump to the conclusion that a simple little stimulant is going to help this person. And in the case of aut autistic uh, spectrum children uh, and adults, the normal course of treatment is usually they start treating the uh, EEG, they start treating, excuse me, the ADHD with stimulants, and then they'll address the uh, repetitive behavior, the OCD, and the anxiety with a, a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, an antidepressant. And then when the behavior becomes over the top, they'll use the antipsychotic. And there's uh, things that are going on inside the EEG that make, uh, that definitely will be made worse by these three types of medications. And that's, you know, really important to remember. Uh, and this is something, you know, I, I, I talk about it as a way for people to think about it a lot is that, you know, should you see someone who's limping, there can be a lot of reasons for the limp. That sometimes it may be, you know, a pebble in the shoes, sometimes it may be a sprained ankle, and sometimes it may be, you know, congenital. And um, with issues in the brain, it can be sort of a similar situation where sometimes it's one of those conditions where it is just sort of the brain chemistry out of balance and that addressing it with the right medication can be all you need to uh, get things back on track. Uh, sometimes, uh, you know, when you're struggling with depression, it can be because of life events and, you know, you need a course for a while and therapy for a while and then you uh, address what's uh, at bay. And then sometimes it can be something else, something underlying. And so you're having some uh, success in finding out that there's more that can be learned with EEGs about the, the physical side of uh, people who are struggling with these challenges. So, uh, you know, you started researching it. You've been looking at it for, you know, over a decade now. Um, so, you know, along the way, what, what was sort of the, the progress, you know, from where then to where you are now? How did you uh, move along? Well, we're, we're at a point now where we're having the... Um the experience of those many years behind us and we found so many interesting things that could account for these symptoms. We've had often cases where uh, we see children, adolescents that are, are it's doubtful to us how they ended up with the um, autistic spectrum di autism spectrum disorder diagnosis and um, when we actually found um, things going on inside the brain that we could correct either with a medication or with a neurofeedback or something, and the, this part of the brain improved, then they no longer met the criteria for being on the auti autism spectrum. So this made us question, were they misdiagnosed in the first place? Because no, there's not really a cure for autistic spe autism spe spectrum disorder, but there is uh, a lot of, I think, misdiagnoses out there. And that's probably very true. I know that uh you know, every year the diagnosis rates goes up. You know, we, we had one in 200, then one in 100, and now we're at one in 60 or higher. And, uh, you know, with, with the diagnosis rates raising that high, you would assume that we'd find something that correlates with it strongly enough that we have a real clue as to why the diagnosis rate is going up, and we're having a hard time narrowing that down. Uh, it's one of those things where awareness 
has risen to an all-time high. People know more about autism thanks to Light It Up Blue, thanks to uh, charities and events, that more people are on watch for autism, more people are bringing their children in to see a doctor when strange behaviors show up at all. Uh, doctors are often hesitant to say, no, there's nothing wrong when you're faced with a very concerned parent. There's uh, not a lot of ways to really definitively diagnose autism. I mean, to autism, the diagnosis right now for autism and, and many of these conditions depends entirely on the person who's making the diagnosis, that what they interpret the actions as determines whether it's not diagnosed. It's it's unfortunately not objective, and it, it really can't be because it's, you know, again, di autism looks different depending on what country you look at it in because it's sure. based on what's around them and things like that. So there's no objective way yet to diagnose autism, though with the, the hopes of, you know, things like this, at least there might be ways to confirm or reinforce or, you know, catch misdiagnosis better. Um, so, you know, you said that uh, you were seeing through the EEG that, uh, or through this process that, uh, you know, sometimes the condition could improve and then, you know, the child may no longer qualify for a diagnosis of autism, that, that you had changed enough about the behavior that, that things were different. What, what, what sort of changes were you seeing? What, what kind of things would they, what kind of things would be different about them after you started? Uh, well, when we find that there's um, uh, either a discharge, uh, we call it like a little spike activity, it's, uh, it would probably never generate into a seizure, but this activity... Uh, is prominent in a lot of autist, uh, autism cases and that we have this uh, abnormally large number of uh, autism children that develop uh, seizure disorder in their teen years and so when we catch it in their elementary uh, years their uh, their middle school years this is a great thing to be able to change you change a course of somebody's prognosis because this can be treated and it's something that's easily treated and it can account for the language issues it can account for the social issues and some of the repetitive behavior so we're, we need to stop looking at uh, how do we paint people into a box and we need to look at their overall symptomology and let's say okay let's go find what's causing these issues and sometimes there may be nothing we can do about it but often we can do something about it and we need to at least bring this to the awareness of uh, the treating physicians and doctors and I know um a few times over the years, I've talked with uh, Dr. Jim Adams, who works at uh, the University of Phoenix, uh, Arizona State University. Uh, sorry, University of Phoenix is not even remotely the same thing as ASU. <laughs> uh, works at Arizona State University and is involved in their uh, biomedical research into autism. And he would talk at times about uh, what he described as subclinical seizures, seizures that uh, happen but don't show any outward symptoms. And uh, he, he said in his description that, you know, sometimes you may notice it happening but not realize that's what it is, that, uh, you know, you might be having a train of thought that suddenly becomes interrupted and you're like, well, wait, what was I doing? And uh, things like that. And I, I, I can easily see how, you know, being in a situation like that could look like um, what, you know, uh, we typically, uh, a typical person thinks of as ADD or ADHD, where... Uh, you know, it's hard to stay focused on something the mind keeps wandering. If your thought process is constantly interrupted by something, he said, and he told me the only way to really uh, catch it uh, from his perspective was by way of fMRI, by looking at the brain, you know, process uh, as it's active um, and, and seeing what's changing, what's active, you know, over a course of several hours because there's no way to tell if it's happening uh, very easily externally. And it sounds like, a, you know, EEG, might be another way to, you know, look for these things. And I, I, I can very easily see how, you know, this is something, I, you know, we've talked about a lot here is that, you know, autism comes with a lot of things that, uh, you know, when you have autism, when you are autistic, you are more likely to have a lot of issues. There are a lot of, uh, you know, gut issues, health issues. Mm -hmm. uh, there's uh, some known mitochondrial issues. There's There's a lot of issues that 
you don't necessarily have if you're autistic, but you're much more likely to than the general population. And one of those is epilepsy and seizures, that you're much more likely to have seizures if you're on the autism spectrum than uh, neurotypical people. And it's so hard to treat the underlying symptoms of autism until you've addressed these other issues that, uh, you know, if someone is having gut cramps and they aren't able to communicate because they're, you know, on the spectrum in that place where they aren't verbal, uh, gut cramps are going to get in the way of them receiving therapy and receiving help for other things. So being able to look at these and, and see, you know, the real things that are happening to the physical side of the body can really provide the opportunity for someone to get the real care they need. So we're going to be going to a break in just about a minute. And uh, when we come back, I'd really like to talk about, you know, more, more about the actual studies, what you've been doing uh, and, and what some of your results are, because I, I think it's really interesting for people to hear about the more physical side of this and, and what is going on in the brain when some of these things are happening. You're listening to Business 1110 KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind, and we'll be back in just a moment. Mike D. founded Business by Experts because he's not the typical boring accountant. He's opinionated, straight to the point, and most of the time gets it right. If you're looking to maximize cash flow, deal with an audit or more, Mike can help. For straight talk about the way a CPA can really help your business, call Mike D. at Business by Experts. Call 832-910-8900 or online at businessbyexperts.com. And listen to Mike D. on The Mechanics of Money, Tuesdays at 1 on Business 1110 KTEK. Paid non-attorney spokesperson. Are you over the age of 60 and been diagnosed with lung cancer? If so, you and your family may qualify for a cash award. We can help make sure that you and your family are financially safe and medical expenses are covered. If you've been diagnosed with lung cancer and are over 60, call 24-7, 1-800-469-9964, Attorney Advertising. William Stephacker Jr. is the attorney responsible for this ad. Main office, Grant, Pennsylvania. May not be available in all states. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon, and this is Theories of Mind. We've been talking with Dr. Ron Swadzina about um, mental health and EEGs and what he's been learning from his research about uh, several conditions and how um, we're beginning to understand more about what's going on in the brain when someone's suffering from these. So I wanted to talk about, I guess, the the process of your research. You've been doing it for 11 years. Um and during that time, I'm sure you've learned a lot more about what's actually happening inside the brain when these happen and uh, the impact it has on people. So can you tell us just, you know, let's, let's just get into, uh, you know, what's going on. Okay, and uh, I just returned from Orlando where we uh, presented a paper on the study we just finished on autistic, uh, autism and the prevalence of these, what we refer to um, technically as isolated epileptic form discharges or IEDs. Not the roadside bomb type, of course. So uh, in the industry, we, we've been looking at this for years, and EEGs are not commonly done when we um, uh, see cases. Normally, they're only referred to me once they fell on multiple attempts at medication. So when I get a group of, uh, there was 140 uh, aged uh, children, adolescents, and young adults in this recent study, and what we found in those is that 36.4% of them had these isolated epileptic form discharges, these IEDs, and recommendation was to uh, put, remove the medicines that could uh, cause these IEDs to worsen, uh, and at the least put an anticonvulsant on and to see if we can get a stability out of them. And so the study we just finished, I'm going to be presenting in the Netherlands at the end of the October, uh, we did this uh, actually at our practice. Um, we found 76 cases in which our psychiatrist uh, treated 76 of these. Made the, we made the recommendations for an anticonvulsant. And all of these 76 cases had failed on multiple attempts at medication, so they became actually their own control group. So when we put them on the anticonvulsant, we looked at their progress notes, follow-up progress notes by the uh, psychiatrist, and based upon observation, uh, uh, school report, teacher report, and um, parent report, 85.53% of those improved when we got them on the anticonvulsant. This is the first time this study's ever been done. They recommended a trial could be uh, of an anticonvulsant could be considered, but nobody has ever seen what happened when we put non-epileptic children 
adolescents and young adults on uh, these medications. And so we're really happy to see that we're making progress in that area. Uh, these, tr uh, these IEDs cause what the doctor was referring to there in the, the previous segment was what we call transient cognitive impairment. And if you find that your child or uh, your adolescent um, seems to have more difficulty uh, when they miss their sleep, uh, a lot more difficulty, maybe more uh, volatile, more rageful, uh, definitely more ADHD symptoms, or after they eat a high sugar and high carb uh, lunch or dinner and they go through a blood sugar crash, these brains are very fragile and they are very susceptible to a lot of things like sleep uh, issues and um, poor nutrition habits. And so this is what makes the brain function better at times and they're looking really sharp and at other times they look like they're just not functioning well at all. You know, I know, uh, I think my friends consider me the least autistic when I've barely had any sleep, but I get more chatty and uh, more expressive of my emotional state. Uh, but that's just, I think, because the defenses I've built up over the last 33 years aren't as uh, solidly there once I'm in that state. Uh, but it, it's really interesting that, uh, you know, for the longest time, uh, you know, autism has, you know, been wholly just an issue of, uh, you know, you treat depression, you treat the anxiety, you treat the, you know, other co-occurring stuff uh, by their respective medications, and then you, you have therapies to change the behavior back to whatever is more socially acceptable or more uh, uh, healthy lifestyle. Um, but it's really interesting that, uh, you know, we've, we've got this, you know, you said something, 86.4%. Uh, uh, was that the number? No, that's 36.4, but it was 86% of those who were put on the anticonvulsant right. um, showed improvement. And, and that's, you know, a huge amount that, that suggests that, you know, we need to be looking at it in the bigger picture and, and seeing if, if this scales that if in larger studies or whatever. Um, and, and, you know, I, I'm curious, we're going to be in, going into a break just a minute, but I'm curious, you know, why you think that you know had such a different what 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 you think was impacting these people or what the EEGA showed was impacting these people that that the anticonvulsants were able to relieve what I think a lot of people listening would consider the symptoms of a different disorder that you know you think okay well the anticonvulsants removed the seizures but why did that help them improve the autism symptoms because uh, you know it makes sense in some ways that, you know, when something is affecting the ability of your brain to function and interrupting it, that it's going to have an impact on you. But talking about it and helping people understand what's going on could be, yeah. Uh, so you're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind, and we'll be back in just a moment. Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? You call low-cost airlines. Their prices are direct from the airlines, and they're so low you can't find these fares published anywhere. They specialize in cheap flights, discount hotel rooms, cheap car rental rates, and great package deals anywhere around the world. Wherever you want to go, they can help you get there cheaply and with a best price guarantee. If you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. That's right, call. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available. So don't wait. Call right now for the lowest travel prices anywhere and for great last-minute travel deals, too. Call right now. 800-708-3091. 800-708-3091. Eight hundred seven zero eight three zero nine one. That's eight hundred seven zero eight thirty ninety one. This is Business Eleven Ten. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind. We've been talking with Dr. Ron Swetsina, PhD, uh, who has been talking to us about EEGs and some of the things they reveal about uh, disorders that are often mistaken by, um, you know, people as being, you know, mostly behavioral or wholly behavioral, uh, but really have a lot going on underneath. Uh, so I wanted to talk about why these uh, 
IEDs, and again, I can't remember what that's an abbreviation for. Isolated epileptiform discharges. Isolated epileptiform discharges. Uh, why they uh, can have the impact they do on someone's cognitive abilities and ability to focus on other things. Okay, well, the, if you think of your brain kind of like a, uh, it, it's an electrical ma- uh, machine out there, actually. And all of a sudden you have these um, spike and wave activity, these uh, breaks in uh, a le- flow of electricity. If you can look at, uh, if you had a power line down and the power lines hit the ground, well, they're trying to arc back and forth to make, to reconnect. And that's what goes on inside the brain. Something's interrupting the flow of electricity and they're throwing a, a spike. And this doesn't just occur in one part of the brain. It ranges all the way through far-reaching parts of the brain. So we call that paroxysmal. It starts like from a normal background, it explodes, then it comes back to a normal background, but it does involve several other parts of the brain. And this can interrupt especially flow of thought. If you, uh, if your child or yourself has, dif- has difficulty reading where you have to read and then reread and then reread it again to get it to go in, um, that's likely that you've got these intermittent spikes occurring and it's interrupting what you just read. So if you miss three or four words out of, at a time out of a, uh, a sentence, you're going to have to go reread it and miss another three or four words that you already read and put into memory to get the whole gist of the sentence. So this is one of the common areas that we find in a language issue with these children is that uh, we have this unusual number of uh, uh, anomalies in this left posterior part of the brain that's causing a lot of the language issues, especially uh, we have seen so many children that have come in that have been uh, without the ability to speak, whether it's selective mutism or whatever, uh, a lot of autistic children uh, are nonverbal. And then, you know, we start working with these brains and we get the right medicine on them and do the, uh, do the, we've got a neurofeedback program at the, the center. And it's just amazing when these little children are come down the hall and ask me how my day is going. You know, it's just like, I'm not expecting this, but, uh, We've seen some pretty amazing things happen, but it's because we're helping the brain to connect more consistently and communicate more consistently over uh, over the entire brain, and it really does make a big change. And that is, uh, you know, it's fantastic to hear the impact it's having because this is one of those things where, you know, when you have mental health challenges, a lot of times you're faced with just this idea that it, it it's you know, this big sort of foggy area where it's like, you know, mental health is is treated differently from physical health. But you've been talking here about the kind of things that can impact it directly, and you're talking about diet, and you're talking about getting the right rest and everything. The kind of things that, you know, when someone says that, you know, I'm really lethargic, you say, well, let's talk about those things. And this is sort of, you know, the brain's not working at full capacity. Well, let's talk about these things. And, and you're looking into tools to help determine when that's what's going on. Um, so, you know, what I'd really like to talk about, I guess, uh, going forward is, is sort of, you know, you've called it here, uh, a paper you're working on where you call it a step towards precision medicine for autism spectrum disorder. Uh, and so I want to talk about that idea of it as precision medicine, how you see some of these tools being used you know, in the future going forward and, and being incorporated into practice, because I think that, uh, you know, if this is uh, a useful way to determine what's going on in there and whether, you know, some of these uh, seizures or other issues are impacting someone that, uh, you know, it, it can be hugely beneficial, especially, you know, if you're seeing an 86% success rate right now with the uh, anti-seizure medicine, knowing when those should be applied and when this can be helpful. So um, we're going to take a quick break and we come back. I'd really like to talk about, you know, what you've learned and what you can see as uh, being useful going forward. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind, and we'll be back in just a moment. If you're using drugs or are addicted to pills or alcohol, you need help. You know that your addiction is harming your life, your job opportunities, and most importantly, your loved ones. You've probably already suffered from addiction's effects, and you know you need help. But breaking free from addiction is hard, even if you know it's what you need to do. And sometimes, it's just too hard to do alone. You need a hand from someone who knows what you're going through, someone who's there to help. That's where we come in. The Kick Addiction Network specializes in getting you the help you need to beat addiction, once and for all. 
Our network of treatment specialists can help you get clean and have the experience and track records to show for it. And if you're struggling with addiction and have private insurance, your help may be fully covered. Know you're not alone. Take one small step and get your life back on track. Give us a call 24-7 at 1-800-KICK-ADDICTION. 1-800-KICK-ADDICTION. That's 1-800-KICK-ADDICTION. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind. We've been talking with Dr. Ron Swatzina about uh, EEGs and uh, how they can be used uh possibly beneficially in diagnosing and treating uh, mental health uh, challenges, uh, in particular autism. So I wanted to ask, you know, what you see as the use both on the diagnostic side and the treatment side for for these? Well, EEG can help us, uh, particularly in the treatment side. Like I said uh, earlier, in in regard to what's going on in the brain, we can can use the EEG um, in order to be be better able to target a medicine to the actual problem that's going on in the brain. There's there's medicines out there that can speed up the brain, and there's medicines out there that can slow down the brain, and they work very well if you know whether you need to speed it up or slow it down. There's medicines out there to calm a brain down when you're having these little uh, isolated epileptiform discharges. It's like a little firestorm's going off. They put in medicines that will actually calm the brain down so that it's not so twitchy so it's not so prone to you know kicking these spikes out and people are kind of concerned about the use of uh, anticonvulsants but it's in our practice we found that uh, once we get the children to the other side of puberty um, and we've stabilized these uh, spike and this spike and wave activity uh, we actually start taking them off the anticonvulsants because they're no longer needed so precision medicine to be able to see that we've got control of what we're trying to get control of we don't uh, you, we use it to titrate medicines up, so we're not going to get too, uh, you know, too high a dose of medication. And then we know when we can possibly start taking the medicine and eliminating it. And I think that's the goal. We'd rather try to address something uh, like that if we can, if there's a medicine for it. Sometimes there's just no medicine for it, and there's no reason to go through all the tons of medicine you could possibly do with the side effects and have a negative response to these medications. So that's part of the precision medicine concept. The Europeans are far ahead of us in this. They've been uh, using EEG and quantitative EEG to uh, select and uh, look at medicines. They started in the late 60s and uh, early 70s, actually. It's been around that long, but there's a big... um, uh, like I say, the Europeans are a little bit more uh, further ahead of than we are in regard to this, but we're trying to get the articles published and get it out in the mainstream so we can get insurance to consider uh, looking at these brains. And I know in my life, uh, medication has seemed very uh, sort of hit and miss. You're you're trying to guess, and then you see if it works. And, you know, seeing if it works was always going back to the doctor, and she would say, well, how, how is this dosage? Did you feel less anxious? Did you feel less depressed? And I'd say, you know what? I've got autism. I have bad emotional memory. I couldn't tell you. I have no idea how I was feeling last month. You know, I see you once a month or once every two weeks or once every three months, depending on how things are going. But, you know, it, it depends so much, you know, like, you know, well, this time I'm talking with you two days before I go to a big conference or two days after a big conference. Next time I'm going to where I've had a week where I've done nothing. You know, it, it's very hard for me to compare the state. Um, so in a medication like this, even though, you know, this is to address seizures uh, of various sorts, uh, being able to look at it with, I guess, sort of more objective tools where you're not saying, do you feel less autistic today? But rather, you're looking at the brain and saying, "Hey, look, we've we've calmed down the seizures. We can adjust the dosage based on how well it's working. Uh, we can better judge whether we need to be using this kind of medication or that kind of medication, depending on what we see going on there." That's, you know, a whole different way of approaching it, where it's it's much more based on uh, addressing underlying issues and solving the the objective issues and uh, then seeing where you go from there. It's it's very much of an inside-out approach, which I think is, while it's a, in some ways a different way of looking at it, it's, it's one that I think, uh, you know, it, it sounds very good to me because um, I know that also there's just a lot of frustration in the higher-functioning autism community where you know, we have this list of things we're supposed to do that people have given us, our therapists and uh, 
our counselors and things like that. And we're like, well, okay, so here's the list of things we do, but none of these really seem to make our lives better. They seem to be there for the people around us. We want, you know, things that help us not lose focus. We want things that help us, you know, not be stressed out while holding a job. We want things that allow us to think better and and to better use our brains rather than things that we feel are just trying to change us so that we fit in. And so this sounds, you know, very much like that, that, uh, you know, you're addressing the underlying concern. You're addressing the the part of the body that's actually malfunctioning. And then once that's addressed, you can look at what symptoms exist and how to improve them because you're not trying to improve them around a malfunctioning brain. Well, the complexity, the complexity of the brain is really kind of interesting. Once we get a brain more stable, uh, we then go and we can see if there's a pattern for the ADHD that's there and the certain medicines would work on that. Well, once you've got the lid on the pot to keep it from boiling over basically with the anticonvulsant, you can address those other issues. And that's why it's so complex to, to try to, can you, I, I really feel sorry for a lot of psychiatrists out there struggling with these cases because figuring those complexities out just based upon a set of symptoms is very difficult. So I think that this is the wave of the future that we're going to have to use science more so. We've got it now down that we do gene, uh, uh, genome testing to see what enzymes and how the four enzymes in the liver that process psychiatric medicines are actually working in, whether they're a, a rapid uh, metabolizer or a slow metabolizer or certain medicines, is critical in regard to the dosing. And so those that's where we take it to that next level. It doesn't tell us what the brain needs, but it tells us what medicines the brain can process, and that makes a big difference as well. So we've taken it to that next step to uh, going to the genetics part of it. And that's you know important to remember that, you know, the entire body is one interconnected machine, as it were, that, uh, you know, a lot of different parts of it, as their functioning changes, it can affect others. You know, if, if your stomach and gut is not functioning right and not absorbing the right nutrients, then that can affect the way your brain is processing. That can affect your strength. Um, and as you said, you know, knowing how the liver is going to process the medicine is huge because a lot of times, you know, we're we're still even working on you know precision medicine in general that uh you know a lot of studies on the effectiveness of medicine f- sort of focus on the male experience of it just because the female experience of it can be very challenging uh, with you know hormonal issues and and things like that going on uh, and then it also you know a lot of times when when you're dosing a large thing you're thinking about is just the body mass and not terribly much else um, so being able to look at uh, you know a more objective analysis, again, as we learn about the genetics, is huge. Uh, you know, e- even if we don't find a single genetic cause for autism, which we probably won't, there's, in my opinion at least, it's likely that autism is one of those things where we've defined it as a set of symptoms. Symptoms can come from a variety of things, and we're going to say, you know, okay, so this creates autism symptoms, but there's also this, and we treat the two things completely differently. You know, one is addressed, you know, through anti-seizure medication, and another one is addressed through uh you know, some sort of therapy to improve the gut fauna or whatever, or gut flora. Uh, so, you know, or, or whatever. They're the, I'm not advocating for any specific cause at this moment. I'm just saying that I think that we're going to see that, you know, autism is something that we can't have a one-size-fits-all solution to, that we're going to see that these symptoms spring from a variety of sources. And, you know, uh, tools like this are, are going to help us find it. So uh, you've done uh, research recently. You had a paper recently, and this is the one that, that showed that uh, had a 86% success rate? 85.53. 85.53. So got to get those significant digits in there. They're important. <laughs> that, I'm a numbers guy. Yeah, no, I understand that. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, with that, you know, where are you hoping to go next? Well, next we're, where we're looking um we want to get to the underlying cause. We are. We want to back up another step. Is there a, po- a potential to do genetic testing in order to figure out why we've got these anomalies in this part of the brain, not just with autism, but with learning disabilities and with ADHD? Um, there's got to be an underlying reason why we have these isolated epileptiform discharges or this focally slow part of the brain back in the uh, uh, Wernicke's area, which is the l- expressive and receptive language area, we seem to have an abnormal large number of those. So I've got a geneticist colleague of mine at A&M, and uh, we're looking at going for an NIMH grant in order to study. Uh, we've got f- 
350 cases approximately of IEDs, and we've got the rest of the 735 in the database that don't have them. So we're going to try to see if we can figure out uh, what's underlying the, the original cause, because if we can... Uh, you know, if we understand gene expression, we may have these genes in there, but how can we keep these genes from being expressed and producing these symptoms? Because if we can hit one of the three areas, the social, the language, or the uh, repetitive behavior of autism, we can go a long way to uh, helping improve the outcomes, at least, uh, of what's going on. Maybe we can figure out why it occurred, but we just don't know right now. And that's, you know, a particular interesting side of it is that, uh, you know, it would be incredibly hard to tie any specific gene expressions to symptoms just because, again, the symptoms of autism in a way are cultural, that, uh, you know, what autism looks like varies from culture to culture because it expresses itself typically as sort of a, a differentiation from the social norms. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you have the repetitive behaviors, but what kind of repetitive behavior? You have the social challenges, but, you know, what kind of social challenges? It can be very hard to uh, really tie it to something. But when you're looking at... Um, the brain like that and then you see okay we're seeing a lot of activity here and tie that to uh, a, a genetic expression then then you you've got uh, a new way of approaching you know diagnosing it uh, and, and possibly prevention because you know you can then see uh, you know if it's genetic or if it's not and if it's not genetic you know if it didn't come from the parent uh, was there a health issue was there you know uh, a, a viral issue or something that affected the development you know we, we see you know, Zika causes microencephaly. Uh, I can't get the word quite right. Uh, but we know that, you know, if a parent is sick, it can result in changes in the child. And so we can see that, you know, maybe these parents, uh, you know, have had chickenpox. Maybe they haven't. Maybe it's something else, you know, that, that there could be something present in them that we can learn about. So I, I love the idea that, you know, we're really drilling down where it's, it's no longer just a uh, you know, this person is acting differently and we need to make them act the same to, you know, now we can look at specific parts of the brain and see, you know, this activity, this issue, um, and, 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 and start to address it. So um, one other thing I wanted to talk with you about, and we're going to be going into a break in about a minute, but when we come back is, uh, I guess, you know, what people can be on the lookout for, you know, with these IEDs and things like that. I know that there may not be you know, a way to spot, but when someone should be considering uh, asking for an EEG or looking for someone who can, uh, you know, do this kind of analysis, because, you know, there are probably a lot of people out there who are struggling with things and saying, you know, the, the typical therapy hasn't helped me. I've still got challenges. You know, I have a diagnosis of ADHD and I, you know, I've tried all kinds of things. I've tried the stimulants and it's not helping me in my workspace. And I'd really, you know, like to be able to, you know, address these issues that I'm having in my life because, for a lot of people, you know, the especially, you know, people who are sort of in the area where I am, we are struggling, we are trying to live the best life that we can, but a lot of our symptoms get in the way of us being able to uh, do the things we want to do and express ourselves the way we want to express ourselves in our social environment, in our work environment, and things like that. So, you know, when... So that's that's what I want to ask you about when you come back is is when should someone start asking, you know, should I get one of these and, and how should they go about looking into it? Uh, you've been listening to Business 1110 KTEK. I'm Paul Alden. This is Theories of Mind, and we will be back in just a moment. friends and family think your TV volume is too loud? Do you ask people to repeat themselves? Maybe you like it loud, or just maybe you have a hearing problem. Keep listening for a guaranteed promise to solve that problem. A good pair of hearing aids can cost over $4,000. Hearing Help Express gives you a way to improve your hearing and save 75%. Our family-owned company has been helping seniors for over 35 years and will always be there to help you with your hearing needs. And right now, for less than $100 down, we'll send you as many hearing aids as you need hassle-free until we fix your hearing problem. Call right now. Save up to 75% on a new hearing aid that we promise will improve your hearing. Call now. 800-559-7631. 800-559-7631. 800-559-7631. That's 800-559-7631. 
This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudness, this is Theories of Mind, and we are talking with Dr. Ron Swetsina, PhD, about uh, EEG and the way it's helped him learn more about autism and, and some mental health challenges people have had. And I wanted to ask you about, uh, you know, when should people be asking, should I be getting an EAG? Should I be looking into something like this as a way of uh, improving my diagnosis? Well, we wrote a paper um, in 2014. Uh, after all those, uh, I've done almost 2,000 cases now, and after all of those, we came to the conclusion, uh, I kept seeing the same four problems occur that accounted for medication failure. Medication failure is a big clue. But there was only, out of all the psychiatric medications, there was only four reasons that medications failed. And so I published this paper, and that's I've got great feedback on that. And IEDs, isolated epileptic form discharges, were only one of the four. Um, just to briefly go over them, uh, focal slowing, where you have one part of the brain slower than the other part, you can't tell medicine, just go to one that one part and <laughs> don't affect the rest of it. So that's why it failed. Um, beta spindles, uh, until we put a paper out last year, beta spindles, has uh, the, the, this phenomenon hasn't been studied since 1958, so a researcher out of the Netherlands and I and one out of West Germany put out a paper on it. So the third, the last one is encephalopathy. Encephalopathy is just a big word for organically messed up brain. For some reason, there's 179 causes, and my job is to try to figure out which one. From uh, and we found Hashimoto's thyroiditis. We found uh, sleep apnea in children that were causing their brains not to develop on time. So that's that's there are only a limited things that can cause medication failure. But that's what I would say is the number one thing. If you're uh, if you or your child has tried multiple attempts at medication and it's not working, that's that's the number one key indicator that there's something in there and we can figure out why it's not working and go from that point. So that would be the, the number one thing I would look at. And if you've never put them on medication and they're having uh, extreme swings of mood or outburst, um, that, that could be the spike is just hitting and it's hitting that part of the brain that controls the behavior. So that would be another one of those. But I tell you the most uh, accurate diagnostic tool we have in the industry is a mother's gut. When she says we just haven't found it, we got to listen to it in the industry because a mother's instinct is more powerful uh, diagnostic tool than than we've got out there right now. And I think that's really interesting, especially the uh, the medication failure. I know that uh, you know there's a lot of I guess sort of distrust or fear around medication. There's a lot of people who don't want to use medication or when they use medication and it's not working, they're immediately, you know, fed up with the whole process. But, uh, you know, I think the idea that people can know that, um, you know, there are reasons for medication failure. It's not that the medication, you know, is bad or has, you know, you know, not got good science behind it or anything, but, you know, there's just so much more going on that uh, humans are, infinitely complex things and we're learning more about them constantly but uh we still have so many bits and pieces to to understand to understand you know why certain failures are happening um so you know we're going into one last break when we come back i just want to talk a bit about you know what you want people to take away what people need to remember uh so uh they can you know follow up uh you're listening to business 1110 ktek i'm paul loudon this is theories of mine and we'll be back in just a moment Attention men and women over the age of 50. If you have more than $200,000 saved for your retirement and are considering buying an annuity, I have some breaking news for you. Don't buy an annuity until you find out how to unlock a $1 million annuity protection at absolutely no cost to you. A free book to help you maximize your retirement income and minimize the risks associated with annuities from top annuity insiders has just been made public. This book exposes little-known secrets on how you can automatically trigger an exclusive, patent-pending $1 million annuity protection while growing your money potentially double digits. Listen carefully right now because we're about to offer you this free book that reveals little-known truths about how to get the highest guaranteed annuity rates with up to $1 million additional protection at no cost to you. Call 1-800-885-9922 to get your copy rushed to you today. Want the highest guaranteed income for your retirement? Want an additional $1 million annuity protection at no cost to you? Call 1-800-885-9922. That's 1-800-885-9922. 
Our annuity professionals have the appropriate licenses for the products they offer. This is Business 1110. You're listening to Business 1110, KTEK. We've been talking with Dr. Ron Switzina, PhD, about EEGs and the effect they might have on precision diagnosis of mental health conditions. So we've just got a couple minutes left, and I wanted to ask you if there's anything particular you want people to take away, remember, or know uh, going out of the show. Well, what I want them to know most of all is that we have technology now uh, available to us to take more of a scientific approach to what's going on with their disorders, what's going on with their uh, behavior, and that we can, we need to start using it. Uh, we need to take advantage of it. I work with a team of scientists. I'm not out there by myself. No, any person said they can do it alone is, I think, a fool in my own opinion, but uh, you, you have to have a team, and we want to work these things out. But people should know that there there is a group of us out there right now that I, I just returned from a conference with a whole group of them uh, that are working to try to get science into mental health and be more objective, be objective than and evidence-based rather than just where we've been for the longest time in, in, in a symptoms-based environment. And I think that that's uh, incredibly valuable. I know that uh, for a lot of people, you know, there's just that, that, that fear that, you know, it's all based on observation and, and it's all based on, uh, you know, one person's opinion in a lot of cases that, you know, a single doctor is looking at your list of experiences, has talked with your parent or whatever, and this one person is deciding whether or not you have a disorder. And it's not, you know, going to make a difference in terms of what you're experiencing. If they say you don't have autism, that doesn't mean that you're out there and suddenly you're fine because you're experiencing something. You're having very real challenges. And the question isn't, you know, getting a diagnosis for diagnosis sake. The question is getting a diagnosis so that you can figure out how best to address what's going on. And so better diagnostic tools that correlate to a better understanding of what's actually happening there is huge in the sense that it allows... Um, you know, treatment in new ways, and it allows people to look at new ideas for treatment. As we say, you know, well, now we know that, you know, it typically affects this type part of the brain or, you know, happens under these circumstances or a variety of things that, that can lead to uh, new ideas, new medications, and, and new therapies even. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it is really exciting to me just knowing that this sort of thing is out there, and I'll definitely uh, be keeping on my eye on on news relating to it uh, when I can because this is something that uh, you know I want to see more of uh, and, and find out you know where it's going to go. Uh, so thank you so much for joining us on the show. Uh, you know we we were I, I really like having the uh, the more technical scientific side here. You know one of the big things about the show is I like to give people who are struggling with things the opportunity to talk about their own experiences, but I also like to remind people that. This, these, these conditions are a physical thing. They aren't just in our minds. They are in our physical brains. They are something that is affecting us that often we don't have any control over. We can have some control over the aftermath or our reactions to it, but we uh, are suffering from a disorder where something is happening to us and we're just struggling to make the best of what we can when it happens um, or how it happens. And so, you know, having this out here, being able to talk about the scientific side of it, the fact that you can see these things on EEGs, that uh, medication can target these things and change the uh, symptomatic expression of these people, that can change the fact that, you know, uh, you know, an autistic person may show less autism when you're uh, treating these seizures is, is big for reminding those of you listening out there that this is a brain thing and it's physical and real. You've been listening to Business 1110, KTEK. I'm Paul Loudon. This is Theories of Mind, and I will talk with you in a week. <laughs>